Welcome to the Stop Ruining My Childhood podcast. A sometimes nostalgic, sometimes cynical look back at pop culture. Join us as we revisit movies, cartoons, and live-action TV of the 80s and 90s and ask the question, Does this hold up, or did I just ruin my childhood? I'm Steve, and today with me I have a very special guest. It is not Megan as normal. Uh, for those of you who remember, on Mother's Day, Megan kicked me out of the studio and brought her mom in. And so today, I got to kick her out for Father's Day. So for Father's Day, we've, I've invited my brother, Kevin, who just became a dad this year. It's a, so that's super exciting. So, um, Kevin, say hello. Hello. <laughs> Kevin is, Kevin's just been knocking down my door to try to get on this podcast for a long time. That's not true. I actually, you know, I begged him to be on it, but um, he he was more than happy to do so. Um, sometimes when we've talked about things, I've mentioned my brothers before um, when we've discussed Transformers and G.I. Joe and things like that. So uh, it's no surprise to everybody that I have a brother. And being that he is a new dad, we thought it would be perfect for Father's Day. That especially because the other option was I could invite my dad. But my father is a man of few words. <laughs> And I just don't, I, I don't think he would have been as talkative, not to mention, Kevin, I don't know, dad doesn't really seem to watch a lot of movies and TV. Right, yeah, I don't even know if we could go as far as to say he would have had a cynical look at <laughs> any of these pop cultures, I just don't think he would have known any of them. Yeah. Or nostalgic, he wouldn't have had any. <laughs> right, yeah, uh, unless it was like shopping at 84 Lumber or something like that, Uh yeah, true. Yeah, I don't even know. I, you know, I, I don't. I mean, we have, we all have a pretty tight family, and I mean, we've spent many, many hours with with dad, and I've I've done projects with him. I've taken long road trips, and I don't think I could tell you what his favorite show is. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever watched a movie or a show with him. No, so you're the best option here, especially since you're a new dad now. Um, so, yeah, yeah. you know, not saying a lot. I'm, I'm sorry that the uh, pickings are slim. No, not at all. I'm, I'm just I'm hoping that you'll be able to stay awake for this since you're probably still up nights with the new baby. Yeah, she um, she just turned three months old. So not getting a lot of sleep, trying to do my best to support my wife and help out, you know, in the nighttime and still get up and and do all of those things. Um you know, our mom always said that she uh, never wanted to release men into society who couldn't take care of themselves and their family. So uh, doing my best to <laughs> uphold that. That's right. Excellent. Awesome. So um, to everybody else out there, happy Father's Day. This is, of course, our Father's Day bonus episode. Um, and, you know, we could have gone with a normal Father's Day type type movie or show. But I wanted to let you choose the one to go with. And you did choose something that definitely connects to our childhood. So tell <laughs> everybody what you chose and why. So when, when you asked me to do this, I, I believe I had told you after I'd made my selection that I, I picked a movie that you were going to be really familiar with. I said, Steve, it's a movie that I used to watch all the time as a kid. And your first response was Annie. Of course. So, uh, <laughs> Now, apparently I watched Annie all the time as a kid. I don't remember it, but um, <laughs> you and Bill, who, who's all, our other brother, and, and my mom used to 
and still say that it was just on repeat all the time at the house to, to a point that you guys were just sick of the movie. We'd watch it four or five times a day, apparently. Oh, yeah, easily. Yeah, basically, once it ended on VHS, like, you weren't happy until we rewound it and put it on again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, I know you were disappointed when I did not choose Annie, but I chose the, uh, the movie Rat, which is a BMX story, although I, I feel like it's more than BMX, right? It is, It's the yeah. heart of a champion. It's the, the underdog <laughs> story, right? It's, it's, it's the ability to overcome the money and the uh, influences and the evil powers of the world and to maintain your integrity. Right? There, there, there's a lot to it. Yeah, um, it really is a classic story that I think all people will be able to relate to. Exactly. But so, it also, you know, has great BMX riding, uh, BMX stunts, great dance sequences. That's um, true. That's true. I, I don't want you to, 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 to give away any spoilers yet. Okay. So before we get into Rad, the first thing we have to start with is my favorite section of the podcast, our non-sponsored candy review. Oh, okay. Okay. And this is where we choose a candy from our childhood and hopefully one that sort of connects. And we, we just decided to go with something that I knew connected with both of us. And so we chose Skittles, the yes. fruit candy. Yes. This episode, though, is not brought to you by Skittles. It is not. No. Although if anyone from Skittles company is listening, we're open to sponsorship by all definitely, means. Definitely open <laughs> to uh, a lifetime supply of Skittles. Yes. Uh, the original. Yeah. I would I, have to negotiate what lifetime supply means, though, because I, I go through a lot of Skittles. Right. right. <laughs> Ate a lot of them as a kid. You know, you, you couldn't just just eat them. I liked I liked having Skittle wars where you'd push them together and, and see which one won was the one that didn't get squished. It squished the other one. And, and then you'd eat the squished one and and then bring another one into the, the ring, so to speak, and, and see how long you could go for yeah, the one that myself. survived goes on to goes on further into the battle. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like doesn't anybody did doesn't that allow everybody eat Skittles? They should. They should. I feel like if they're just <laughs> you know eating one at a time or, or even the handful, right? The handful, it's you're not savoring them. No, no. There has to be one color at a time, and preferably the strongest color. Right. While we taste Skittles, I am going to talk a little bit about Skittles. Skittles were first produced in 1974 by a British candy company. Mm -hmm. So they started in England. And do you know what Skittles is named after? Uh, I'm going to say a clown. That would be my thought too, Skittles the clown, but it is not. <laughs> Apparently, Skittles is named after a British game called Skittles, which is like lawn bowling. It's like you throw like a bocce ball at smaller, like almost like candlestick bowling pins out in the grass. Interesting. And the British call that Skittles. And that's why they named the candy Skittles for some reason. But it, I don't see the correlation. I'm missing it. I'm thinking maybe they felt like the little round fruit candies looked like maybe the, the bowling ball. Mm. That's the only thing I can think of. But that's the I'm connection to why they were named that way. Skittles began U.S. production in 1982. So they were in britain for eight years before they were produced in america wow yeah and, and which, as, as a kid they were a fairly new candy i was born in 84 yes so. yeah and this movie we're about to talk about was in 86 so it's really all around the same time exactly exactly so i guess i never realized while we were kids because we ate a lot of skittles as kids 
And I never realized, I guess, that they were that new. Yeah, I, I didn't realize it either, but you're right. We ate a lot. Our, our mom really enjoyed candy. Um, she would buy Skittles for herself and then maybe leave an open pack on the table. And I would always kind of walk by and steal a few at a time along with a sip of her Pepsi. You know, she didn't really let us drink a lot of soda growing up, but I'd always sneak a sip. And if yeah. you're going to slug Skittles down with anything, I'm, it's got to be a Pepsi, right? Right, exactly. It, it's just, a, <laughs> I, I guess, like a level shy of like Mentos and Coke, right? Yes. This is going to be where the comments go crazy because depending regionally where you live, we've got our Coke Pepsi people. And now we've just drawn a line. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't have a line though. I, I'll, I'll drink both. Okay. So yeah. you'll, e you'll equally wash down Skittles with Coke or Pepsi. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. When I was a kid, my, a little bit older, when, when we were allowed to just kind of start drinking more soda, my soda of choice was orange soda. And you know, and that also goes well with the fruity flavors of Skittles. It does. But I, I was just going to say, I wonder if you're, if you're eating Skittles and drinking orange soda, does the orange soda kind of surpass all the other flavors of the Skittles? It may. But Where cola really doesn't have a fruit flavor. Right, and Mark, it, it really cleansed the palate of all the sugar. Yes. With more sugar. With more sugar, yes. So original Skittles comes, of course, in five flavors. Purple, which is grape. Uh, green, which is lime. Yellow, which is lemon. Red, which is strawberry. And orange, which is orange. But since then, they've also added, as you mentioned before... Tropical Skittles, Wild Berry, Dessert, Sweet Heat, Smoothie, and Sour. Yeah, I, I've tried them all. I still, I just always go back to the original. Like I said, I like the purple. I, I, I'm a big lime fan now as I'm older. So as I'm sitting here eating them now, I really am gravitated towards the, the lime. Yeah, I love Skittles. I'll eat all flavors. It just doesn't matter to me. You know, I don't know that I've ever tried the sweet heat Skittles. Yeah, I, I could say I've had the wild berry and the uh, the sour. I've had the sour. That almost gives it a little bit of a Sour Patch Kid kick to it. Right, which is also another great candy. My only problem with Sour Patch Kids was you can't eat just a couple, so you're a full bag into it, and then you can't eat anything for, like, the next day because your, your tongue has all the bumps on it that are and, and it hurts it's swollen it weighs like eight pounds right yeah. so the other pat thing about skittles now i didn't realize i've been eating skittles since a kid and i still eat them i didn't realize that the recipe changed a little bit in 2009 skittles removed the animal derived gelatin from their recipe so that it makes skittles suitable for vegetarians and vegans did you did you taste the lack of animal derived gelatin? No, no, I didn't. But I'm I'm a carnivore, so I, I think I, I want a meaty skittle. Yeah, that, you want the right? old the old original flavor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, honestly, though, I'm surprised that they don't have veggie flavored skittles. Right. Oh, I don't know about that. This Where the green idea. is like broccoli instead of yeah, lime, and like a <laughs> carrot and like a tomato. Yeah, I'm not sure that how that how that would fly, but um, so. The last thing we have to do with Skittles is we have to rate them. All right. We rate our candy on a, on a scale of one to five. And the, the way we rate, whether it's stars or whatever, always changes depending on the show or movie or cartoon. So today I'm going to say out of five bicycles, how many would you give Skittles? Well, in, in hopes of getting that lifetime supply, <laughs> right, I'm going to go with five bicycles. I, too, am going to go with five bicycles for Skittles because it's like one of the best candies there is. 
Yeah, it's just it's got everything when you think about it. The the packaging, right? The the logo was well thought out. It, it was well branded. Mm-hmm. The bright colors, fruity. Uh, got that sugar. It doesn't leave your tongue all blistered like Sour Patch Kids. Just That's a, true. a great all around candy. And you know they're they're known for of course their catchphrase, right? Skittles taste the rainbow. Taste the rainbow, right? Which was not part of their marketing in Britain. That wasn't added until the United States. It was actually coined by a New York City uh, marketing firm. Really? I wonder if they're a British slogan. Skittles, play the lawn bowling. (laughs) I don't know. If you're out there listening, we have a number of British listeners. Comment and let us know. Yeah, yeah, I I need to know that slogan. (laughs) Because I grew up with Taste the Rainbow, and I'm kind of disappointed that that was not the original slogan. It could have been something. I mean, it could have been like Skittles for the Queen. Who's to say? I always assume that Queen would like something like... Like a more sophisticated... Yeah, but who knows? Maybe she's got a Skittle side to her. So either way, we both agree... Skittles... Five bicycles. Five bicycles. Right. Out of five. So that's the top notch for our candy. Yeah, it's it's a rad candy. Yes. Yes. So that moves us into our, our show, Rad. Before uh, Kevin gives us a, sh- a brief summary of Rad, um, Rad is a movie from 1986. It can still be found um, streaming on either YouTube. You can rent it on YouTube movies or Amazon Prime right now. Now, knowing that, Kevin, give us our, our brief summary of RAD. Right. So as we talked about earlier, RAD is a BMX story, but it's so much more than that. But it, it follows the main character whose name is Crew Jones and his desire to be a competitive BMX racer. And he lives in a small town and in the small town, they decide to build the ultimate BMX race course called Helltrack. And basically, the design incorporates different elements of different styles of BMX riding into one track. Uh, it starts off with this huge, you know, 25-foot uh, drop or something like that. And uh, it's supposed to be uh, a one-of-a-kind track, but they build it in the small town. And there's kind of some... Uh, behind the the scenes scheming, if you will, to make money. They're trying to manipulate the race, the organizers to fix the race so that the the star professional BMX rider, Bart Taylor, and his crew win the race. And with that, they've got merchandising already stored in warehouses. Uh, So it's basically this, this BMX track gets built and they invite all the top sponsored professional riders from across the country to race. And it's in this small town and the townspeople kind of get upset that their own kids, the locals don't have an opportunity to try to race this course. So they decide to uh, have qualifying heats and crew Jones is kind of the best local rider. Him and his friends ride around town they get chased by the local cop and they try to, you know, constantly outrun him on their their bikes, which I think is hilarious that he can't catch them on a motorcycle. So needless to say, he gets entered into the hell track 
and from there tries to make a name for himself kind of being this this kid who doesn't have a sponsor he doesn't have the top-notch equipment and he's going against the best in the world at hell track trying to prove himself so that's kind of the uh the summary and, and tell us i mean does he win so he does win but watching it again you realize that it's kind of kind of cheap because bart taylor is way out in front but then <laughs> like his ego gets in front of him and yeah and he wants to race crew jones one-on-one because he doesn't want to be told that crew is better than him so he actually stops in the middle of the course to let crew jones catch up with him and then they kind of race the last half lap one-on-one and crew prevails in the end but i'm sitting there watching this again as an adult going uh he was way out in front if he just kept riding he would have it, it was, was a no no-brainer yeah right he, he yeah. was clearly the better rider yeah <laughs> yep i saw that too but uh, excellent so yeah that's the brief that's rad kind of briefly and we're going to get in again to our recap a little bit later um after our commercial break and talk a little bit about the specifics of it but um before that just a history kind of of this movie and what it's about right bmx racing which stands for bicycle motocross was developed in the late 1960s and 1970s uh, mostly through teens and young adults who were racing their bicycles on improvised tracks all over california and did not know that yeah, through the, the mid-late 70s, it really started to have to pick up. And then by the late 70s, early 80s, mid-80s, which is where this movie was made, it had become a, a world, a, you know, definitely North American, but even started to spread throughout the world. And it was viewed as a professional sport. And you had these riders who were, who had become, you know, sponsored by um, big bicycle companies like Mongoose, which we see in the movie. Right. Um, Schwinn was another one. Right. There was a number of BMX company or companies that made BMX, either bicycle companies or companies that make like bike accessories or racing gear. Um, and sometimes just large companies like I think we see also in the movie like Coke. They just want to get, to get their name out with teens. And so they would sponsor these racers. And of course, you know, the, you'd see the racers and we see in the movie, they're all, you know, basically their whole attire is in sponsorship colors and they race for the, you know, they race for those teams. And so it really became kind of a big thing, not only in California, but it spread. And we see that here, actually, because, you know, this takes place in Canada. Um, it's interesting because when we'll talk about this a little bit later, too, but. Uh, this was filmed in Cochrane, Alberta, Canada. Oh, okay. And you see that there's a number of Canadian racers in the race as well. Hmm. So it was not just California anymore. It spread throughout North, about throughout the United States and then into Canada and some other areas. Um, right. And so it really, you know, this was something that would have definitely connected with teenagers at the time and, you know, young adults, especially. The main character, Crew Jones, was loosely based on BMXer Eddie Fiola. Um, really yeah on his kind of life coming from like you know amateur small town guy to a bmxer and the interesting thing is that eddie fiola was in the movie and he was crew jones's stunt double okay so every time you see crew doing like backflips and stuff it's eddie fiola who was nice. a professional bmxer one of the other surprising things is and now this this really shocks me because we're such fans of this movie but no official version of rad was released on dvd or Blu-ray, or streaming until 2020. So it just became available again. So, really? Yeah, it was on VHS in the 80s, but then after VHS, it was never released on any other medium again until 2020. 
Well, I can say that I'm glad that they did decide to put it on a streaming uh, streaming device. Yeah, right. And, you know, it makes sense. It surprises me because I, I never, I guess when we were kids, I never realized that it was a Canadian movie. Yeah, I don't think I realized that either. But that's why it's on that, uh, on Am- if you find it on Amazon, on the channel Topic, which is world different, like, countries of the world's movies that's why it's on there because it technically represents canada interesting you know although when you watch it now as i was watching they don't try to hide it or pretend that it's not it says that it takes place in the town of cochran in the movie as well which is in canada that's true (laughs) and when they introduce the canadian riders in hell track they say canada's own so they they say that you know but i just i guess because especially the 80s, well, even now, right? Canada and you know, in most parts of the United States, even especially Midwestern, have very similar culture. Right. You know, and especially if it's all about teens doing BMX, that kind of looks the same everywhere. <laughs> but, you know, if Bill Allen, who played Cruz Jones, is can- Canadian. Lori okay. Laughlin, who we'll talk about a little bit, was can- is Canadian as well. Okay. So it's, you know, they're Canadian actors for the most part, and it was, it was a Canadian film, which I guess maybe... I don't know if that's why it wasn't as popular here, which surprised right. me. I mean, it is one of those films that if you've seen it, like you and I have in our family, it kind of had a cult following. Yeah, it definitely had a cult following. Still does, for sure. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty. It's, that's pretty cool. And the other aspect, the other fun fact of this movie is the cult following was so was became so strong even lately that in 2018, Mongoose Bicycles. Um, hosted a hell track festival where it brought in BMXers to race on a reproduction of hell track that it built in Dallas, Texas. I wonder if there's any uh, video footage of that anywhere. We'd have to look it up, you know, but the impressive thing was, is that there was obviously enough fans of this movie that Mongoose thought it would be monetarily worthwhile to have a hell track festival. I think I would like to ride that. You want to do the 30 foot wall? Right. And, and I guess that's the <laughs> funny thing, right? Having it be such a favorite of mine growing up, I was not an avid bike rider by any means. No, our middle brother was probably the biggest bike rider of the three of us. Yeah, but there's something about the uh, the movie, I think, as a, as a young kid that just really I found captivating. Yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the tricks and, you know, all the different bunny hops and all that kind of stuff you see them doing that was just cool looking. Um, and I think it kind of you know, really was impressive. And, and especially to a young kid, but even like an adolescent or a teen, that's, that stuff's cool, you know? Right. Right. And it, it was these people doing all these fancy tricks on a bike that was just like the bike you had. Exactly. You exactly. Know, you didn't have to have a race car or a, a dirt bike or anything like that. Yeah. You know, I guess it's maybe the same allure as like skateboarding. Cause you could, you could go out and buy a skateboard and do this, try to do the same things. Right. And you see both of them still have a, a lot of popularity as far as like X games and all those types of things. Yep. So let's wrap up our history and fun facts and we're going to go to commercial. Um, and when we come back, we'll talk about our memories of rad. This podcast is supported by its creators and listeners like you help keep our show ad free by visiting our website, stop There you can find links to our social media and this very podcast you're currently listening to. 
Both Megan and I are authors, and you can find links to our books on our About page. And on our Watch With Us page, you can find videos and links for all the shows and movies we discuss on the podcast. And more importantly, links to buy the nostalgic snacks we review as well. We also post bonus content about once a month. So like, subscribe, and follow. For a small, independent podcast like ours, it really does make a difference. Thanks. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Stop Ruining My Childhood. Uh, I'm Steve. And I'm Kevin. And we are having our special Father's Day episode. And today we're talking about the film Rad, the BMX racing film from 1986. So, uh, Kevin, tell me about your memories of Rad. My memories of Rad were that Crew Jones was the coolest guy. And, right, he, he wore a full red outfit with the stars and then and the rad rad racing was their team right and as a young kid you know um it came out in 86 so uh i don't think i saw it right away i was born in 84 so i probably saw it maybe three years after it came out probably you know i was probably five or six when i first saw it um but used to watch it all the time and I just thought it was the coolest movie. The track itself was cool, right? The starting gate was on top of that, you know, 25, 30 foot wall, kind of straight down. Uh, I, I remember Crew Jones kind of kind of doing that backflip right next to the bathtub that was sponsored by Kicks, I think it was, the cereal. And, and yeah, just really, really fond memories of the movie. I was really excited to watch it again with my wife and kind of bring her into uh some fun childhood memories. Yeah, you know, I remember, again, I mean, we, we were in the same house, so we watched this a lot together. And I remember right. I remember us, like, thinking that this was a great movie and it was cool, and I remember watching it a lot. But like I said before, I, I just, it was interesting because I never clicked to me to be a Canadian film. It looked like, you know, it just, it was something that connected to, I think, all kids. I thought that, that Crew Jones, again, like you did, was cool. Um, you know, he's portrayed by Bill Allen. And, and it just, you know, was really neat looking. And I thought it was, you know, cool that the tricks are some some tricks that like you know a lot of times he's on a playground or he's doing like the bike dancing thing or doing bunny hops and it was stuff that if you practiced enough you could probably figure out at home yeah besides the backflip you know it wasn't like crazy things that i think you know that nobody would or you would kill yourself trying basically i don't know i I think some of the sequences in the beginning of the movie and at the end when the credits are rolling they've got the professional bmx stuntmen and all the cool tricks some of that stuff that they, they're doing there is uh pretty complicated i don't know if i would have been courageous enough to try that on, on a bike but I, I wasn't much of a risk taker so that's that that's true although i mean i think i think we could speak for all you know young um teenage kids or even young boys to say i don't think we're the only ones that watched rad and then went outside and put a two by four on a brick and try to do a jump. Right, and, and and try to find some sort of helmet, right? Even in the movie, uh, I think Crew Jones is wearing a hockey helmet. Yes. Right? <laughs> so it didn't really matter what you had. You just put on some sort of uh, padding. Maybe it was like an old uh, plastic football helmet and some shoulder pads or whatever. Yeah. And Maybe a batting helmet. Cooler. <laughs> exactly, and, and it just made you feel cooler. Or even, you know, I mean, it was the 80s, just no helmet at all. <laughs> right, yeah, we, we, we didn't have the... Uh, safety requirements that are, that are out there today you know you'd be out there in uh some cut off jean shorts and maybe uh, a mesh shirt and uh no helmet 
Yeah, barefoot on the spike pedals. Or the big tube socks with the with the colored stripes at the top. Yeah, you only put the helmet on if you were going to try something real dangerous. Right, exactly. <laughs> and then even then, it was like, you know, maybe. Just in case. Um, what, what's the worst that could happen? Exactly, exactly. So, uh, yeah, yeah th- this was a cool one. I mean, it was, you know, bikes. I feel like bikes was a big thing. Like you said, we, we didn't ride a ton of bikes, but we did ride up and down. Dr- our, you know, we had a really long driveway. Um, in back of our house, it went to the neighbor's place and we rode up and down the driveway. We kind of lived out in the country. So it wasn't like we had a neighborhood we could ride through. Right. We did. We, we would build jumps. I remember I did try to teach myself how to ride no hands uh, when I was pretty little. I thought that that would you know, be cool to ride no hands. And I, I was pretty young, so I didn't quite get it. And uh, the handlebars spun around and uh, caught me in the throat and whipped me off the bike. Um <laughs> So, yeah, after that, I was a, a, I was a cautious BMX rider, right? Two hands. Two hands on uh, the handlebars? Now, no, let me no, ask no you, were you wearing a helmet me. when you got whacked in the throat? No, no. <laughs> but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't call for help because I, I couldn't talk. <laughs> it caught me right in the windpipe. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'd be remiss also if we didn't talk about uh, any memories we have of Father's Day growing up? Father's Day and Mother's Day, I think we're always big in our household. Family was always really important. So for both holidays, we would get together, not just our immediate you know, family as far as us three boys and our, our mom and dad, but it would be grandparents, uh, a lot of times aunts and uncles and, and all the kids. And we would do big family dinners, which you know would start at an appropriate dinner time of one o'clock in the afternoon yeah (laughs) Uh, for me those are always sweet memories i don't think we had any traditions like going out fishing with dad or anything like that but just just big family get-togethers usually a lot of you know cookouts you know just the time time of year that it is we would do a lot of grilling just really hanging out outside and spending time together with family and it's something that we still do to this day it's it's changed a little bit you know not everybody uh, can come that used to come as everybody kind of started their own families and stuff, but we still have pretty big get togethers and, and it's, it's a great time. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause we don't have as many of the cousins and things that we used to, but now of course, all three of us are married and have families. And so the nuclear family that we had has kind of expanded. Exactly. It's weird to think about the fact that uh, this coming father's day that I will now be a father, right? Mother's day just, just pass And I kept saying to my wife, um, you know, we got to get a card for, for our moms and we got to get a card for our grandmothers. And uh, Tell me you didn't forget to buy one for your wife. <laughs> I, I, I did. I oh. forgot a mom. <laughs> right? I mean, come on. You've been doing Mother's Day one way for, you know, 38 years. Yeah. Our daughter's <laughs> three months old. I didn't, it didn't register. <laughs> your daughter's crying and you're like Shh, be quiet i'm trying to think of who i need to buy mother's day cards for <laughs> right exactly exactly i'll blame it on i'll blame it on sienna uh she distracted me yeah from uh, thinking about everybody that i had to you know when i think of father's day i think uh, you know i think of a lot of the same memories you do um we've always been a big cookout family our father likes to grill and you know you're right we didn't do a lot of activities or go to restaurants but I think it's because our dad worked a lot. He either was out of town working a lot or when he was working in town, he worked a lot of hours. 
So even just to just for him to be home and for all of us to be together was kind of a, a special thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. There were there were certain jobs that he had when we were younger where he would be on the road for, you know, a month, two months at a time. And then he might come home for, you know, a week or so and then he'd be back out. So the, the times we we had him home was always just a really special time. Yeah. I'll tell you the other memory I have of Father's Day is trying to get something for dad. Our father's not easy to buy for. He, to be honest, I think he's probably the, the toughest person in the family to buy gifts for because he's he's just not super vocal as far as like things he wants. No, he 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 really just likes spending time with with family. Honestly, yeah. he likes having everybody around. Um, he he's more emotional than you would think. Um, I don't think he ever really wanted much. Yeah, he's a, he got a lot of like tools because he worked a lot or, you know, like the grilling stuff because he did that, maybe some fishing equipment. Um, Yeah. So that's our memories of rad and kind of some of our memories of father's day. Now now we'll jump into, to kind of our recap review of rad starting off, right. Rad opens up with this scene of crew Jones and his friends as paper boys. Fantastic scene, by the way. Yeah. What did you like about that scene? I just like the fact that um, something that a lot of kids now probably don't even know about is, is paper boys and paper routes and delivering papers. And, and just the fact that they were kind of riding through people's yards or riding through storefronts and kind of doing their tricks and their stunts and yet delivering papers at the same time. And it kind of showed like, that's how they got their training, right? Compared to the, the professional riders that were coming in that were sponsored and, and that was their job. So they got to ride professional courses and they trained all the time. On the reverse side, you got crew and his friends, and their training is is delivering papers before school. Yeah, right. And and actually, I think I mean they're like jumping over some curbs and trying to throw you know throw in the papers the best they can, the doors and things like that. And I think at one point in this little montage of the three of them delivering papers, crew's friend Luke I think gets hit by a car. He does. He gets hit by a car. The mom uh, is backing out of a driveway. And he kind of comes jumping over a fence, I think, and kind of goes up and over. And the kids are all laughing. And the mom's like, will you guys be quiet? And she doesn't see the fact that, you know, she just hit a kid on his bike. Yeah, Um, he just gets up and keeps going. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's the 80s. Yeah. You know, it's no big deal. I mean, the car wasn't going that fast. You get hit by a car, you get up, you keep going. You just keep going, right. Because you better be home. I mean, he's got to finish the paper route. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So this introduces us really to Crew, of course. You get to see Crew, and it shows, kind of highlights some of his bike, you know, his, some of his bike's tricks. And also that his friends, um, Luke and Becky, also seem to, like, you know, be pretty good bikers. Obviously, Crew is, like, the star, but, you know, right. his friends are into it as well. And then it ends with us seeing that, like, Crew finishes his paper route and always does it in front of the clock tower so he can time himself. Exactly. Um, which is pretty cool. And he's, he's, he's trying, he didn't beat his time in this first run, but he's, he said, you know, even when I do, then it'll be five minutes faster. Yeah. Yeah. He's always pushing himself. You gotta, you gotta love the determination. Yep. Yep. We also get, we also see as crew goes to school, they go from there to high school and we see the crew is into a girl named Katie. Yes. Seems like he took out, but it doesn't seem like Katie is really into crew. No, there's not much backstory there. You, you get the uh, impression that they had gone on one date and she was less than impressed. And um, 
he thought that he uh, wowed her. So he, he's a little uh, unaware of the fact that he did not impress her the way that he thought he did. Yeah, no, it actually, I think it was they get out of school that afternoon. He's like trying to do like a bunny hop and he's like, look at this, Katie. And she's like more interested in the guys with cars. Right. I think he asks her uh, if they're going to the dance together. There's a, uh, I think when I was younger, I didn't understand. I thought it was just like a high school dance, but I think it was a dance that was put on for all the local people to kind of drum up support for the race because all, all the professional riders had come in. I thought it was just like a high school dance. And I was always wondering why the professional riders were there. Like, that's a little weird. He's asking her if they're going to the dance. And she's like, what, are you going to pick me up on, a, on that bike? And he was like, of course. Like, he's he thought like, it was the coolest thing. He's and like, she, I got pump pegs, like, of course. You're getting on the back. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she was She was not feeling that, though. No, no. So that he then afterwards, you mentioned a little earlier in the summary, um, Crew and his friends kind of play like chase with the with the motorcycle cop. Yeah, through a lumber yard. They got, again, just, an, I guess, another element of the movie that there was really no backstory on. No, uh, it's like an element to show crews, like, bicycle abilities. Right, but it's like they've got, like, a, a, a clubhouse hangout <laughs> in the middle of a lumber yard. Um, and apparently the local towns cop and them have a game where, where he kind of chases one of them. He, you know, the, the three of them take off and then he picks one to, to go after and they kind of get chased through the, the lumber yard um, and you get to see again their, their riding skills in action. Yeah, and I say game because the cop doesn't seem like he's trying to arrest them. It seems like he's just messing with them. See, when I was a kid, again, perspective, I thought he was trying to arrest them. But again, watching it when you're older, it seems to be just a, a game that they play. Yeah, it seems like the guy, and you see this a little bit later on, too, when the townsfolk are talking, it seems like this cop is just generally a, a nice guy who is just kind of looking out for the kid, the teens in the area. Exactly. And then Crew leaves there, obviously, and he says, well, I got to go pick up my sister. And this is where we meet Crew's little sister, Wes. Yes, she is something else. She's got a little mouth on her, doesn't she? You know what? I was honestly surprised... Uh, not just by by her, and, and I would say, right, movies today probably have a lot worse language, but the movie was rated PG. So when I was telling my wife that we should watch the movie and everything, you know, I was like, oh, it's a, it's a good family, clean movie. Uh, there's a lot of language in it. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like terrible, terrible language, but she's very sarcastic, and she does say a few things that kind of cross the line. I mean, for right. like... For like a nine or ten year old, which I think is what exactly, she's to be. yeah, and she likes kicking people. That's like yeah, her she thing. mentions a few times I kicked somebody in the shins. Right, exactly. Yeah, I don't remember that being a huge part of the eighties. <laughs> no, I remember her character, but uh, yeah, some of the language uh, I forgot about. Yeah, we also meet Crew's mom, who's played by Talia Shire who is a big known actress. Yes. Right. I mean, Adrian in Rocky, uh, she played in the Godfather. I mean, she's got chops as an actress. Yeah. And, and rad. I mean, talk and about, rad. let's not forget. I mean, that's right. the trifecta. Godfather, right. Rocky, rad, right. You know what? Again, the, the things that you notice when you're older, going back and watching this. Now I, I'd seen Rocky when I was younger. I didn't realize 
that it was Adrian. And so that was a pleasant surprise. Just kind of those things that you pick up on. I was like, oh, no way. Yeah. And, you know, the one thing I will say, I mean, there's a lot of positive to this this movie that I liked. But one of the downsides is I like Talia Shire and I think she's phenomenal here. But I think that's a problem because in her in her interactions with Crew Jones, right, especially here, they're fighting over the fact that he's supposed to do his SATs the same day as Helltrack. Exactly. Um, and they have like a mother son fight, right. About his future. She's such a great actress that she kind of overshadows Bill Allen as crew Jones a little bit. Yeah. Her acting was on another level. I don't want to say the acting overall in rad was less than, <laughs> but you could definitely tell she was on another level as an actress. Yeah, and so she's doing this emotional, like, you know, you better you gotta look out for your future. I don't want you to waste your, your your future away. You know, you these SATs are important. And he's not carrying the same emotional weight necessarily as she is. No, but, but he's trying to, and I think that that's what makes it awkward, is he's trying to give this really emotional response. Yeah. And it, uh, yeah, it doesn't uh, hold up. He's given it the old BMX try. He wipes out, though. Yes. Um, yeah. And can we also talk about the fact that it's not just that the Hell Track falls on the day that he's supposed to take his SATs. Hell Track falls on the day that Crew is supposed to retake his SATs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So maybe if Crew had done better the first time, he wouldn't have this problem. Right. But he does promise to take them in six months. Right. Right, probably with the next class, like the next year. <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, I'll just take him next year as I, you know, redo my senior year. It's not that big of a deal, Mom, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, again... Honest, college was probably not going to be in my future anyway. Right, right. You know, but I, I'm the best bite, I'm the best BMXer in... in Small Co Canadian in town. Cochran, Alberta. Right. I, I, gotta, I gotta seize my opportunity. Um, so, of course, then we go to the dance, which we mentioned earlier. I thought this was a prom as well when I was when I was younger. But it is very obvious now, rewatching this, that this is like, it's like a welcome dance for all the people who've come into town for the race. Right. And I think that this is one of the scenes where we really get that 80s vibe. I mean, the wardrobe choices... Thank you, because this was on my list, too. Right, for the dance, as um, re remarkable. Now, I will say, Crew, in general, has a very 80s kind of vibe, right? He's got the, the red bandana tied around his leg. You know, that's kind of his thing. But yeah, the, the wardrobe at the, the dance, specifically by the, the Reynolds twins, who, who ride with Bart Taylor and Team Mongoose, they've got these gray, spaceman-esque outfits on and they're dancing with this girl who's got like full-on like animal print i don't know zebra stripe bodysuit and i just thought to myself it doesn't get any more 80s not at all that. you know first off i will say that the, the the wardrobe in this movie is awesome like it is totally 80s it is they, like, yeah very authentic thing about it but rex and rod reynolds the twins that are like you know, that are Bart's, like, sidekicks, they really, their gray spaceman matching outfits are phenomenal. 
I mean, they're just so ridiculous that you have to you have to be like, you know, mad respect that they left the house looking like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then like crew. Right. He comes in with these. I think they're gray, like dress slacks. But down the sides, they've got like these sparkly like stripes and they've yeah. got like the eighties elastic waist on dress pants. Yep. With with then just a plain white used car salesman like button up shirt. Yeah. But then enter Lori Laughlin's character, Christian. And, Christian, yes. And she wants to BMX dance with crew. Yeah, I wrote down they call it bicycle boogie. That's what they call it. They call <laughs> yes. it the bicycle boogie. Um Possibly one of the the best dance sequences I've ever seen. Oh, it's phenomenal. I mean, as far the, as the uh, bikes on an eighties oh, movie awesome. is concerned, right? I mean, I think what, what's one of the main dance sequences people think of in eighties eighties movies? Um, Dirty Dancing. Right. Right. You've got yeah. the lift. Right. right. You've got Saturday Night Fever from the late seventies, yeah. but still, I mean, that that's where you throw in. But, but do I dare say that the the lift in Dirty Dancing, I think Crew's final uh, jumping his bike up onto the balance beam and then riding backwards on just the front wheel. You know, I mean, that, technically, it's it's just as, if not more difficult, right? And then he, he, he jumps down, and the cinematography in the movie is just so 80s, too. Yeah. It's and, got and, that like '80s fog, as if someone forgot to wipe the lens off a little bit. Right, and, and then at the very end, they're kind of doing this like they're both riding on their on their back wheel while like holding hands and riding in a circle, or like yeah. they've got their arms out wide, like in a in, in in like this big pose on their bikes, and it's in slow motion, and it, it's just phenomenal. I would say that it's up there with Dirty Dancing as far as best 80s dance sequences it's just not as heard of right it wasn't as popular of a movie and not only that kevin but their boog their bicycle boogieing which i have to be honest we grew up in the 80s and 90s and i've never in in my life seen a bicycle boogie but right they're, they're bicycle boogieing indoors together spinning around doing mirror tricks dancing on bicycles to send me an angel by real life. Yes, yes. I was going to, to say the soundtrack also um, just fit the movie perfectly. You, you had these super synth 80s songs. And and yeah. and yeah, it was, you know, my wife, though, really uh, was digging, honestly, uh, Lori Laughlin's character's black shirt with like the, 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 sequenced i think it had like sequenced glittery but with like the shoulder yeah. pads and then was the it dance white and jeans like, and black heels on a bmx bike it, right and she's like you could almost argue was outfit. tougher than what crew had to do <laughs> I, I would say she was probably the better rider too she taught she taught him how to do some stuff yeah i think so i think so complete classic scene right and i don't remember real life's videos the band real life I don't remember the original Send Me an Angel video because this was the MTV era. But if they didn't use this scene of bicycle boogieing, I think they lost a chance. I, I think they did. I and mean, I think I lost a chance growing up. I think I may have been more successful uh, dating if I had learned how to bicycle boogie. 
I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking back. I'm like, why didn't I learn that and do that at a middle school dance? Right. And, and I think uh, the, the girl that he was interested in the, the beginning of the movie that we talked about, Katie, I think she was probably really uh, regretting her choice to not go to the dance with him on his bike, seeing those moves. Oh, she must have. I mean, what kind, what idiot in a car is doing that? Nobody. Right. You, can't, you can't bicycle boogie in a car. No, not at all. We mentioned Rex and Rod Reynolds, the twins. Yeah. Besides their ridiculously matching spaceman outfits, um, they both were dancing with the girl in the in the animal print. I, I just want to touch on this quickly. Was it just me, or did it seem like they're both dating her? Um, yeah, it seemed like one of those okay. things where like um, they can't do anything separated from each other. They're like, you very... know, they're like the evil twins on Cobra and G.I. Joe. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's really what they were. They were like the henchmen. Their job wasn't to win the race. It was to make sure that Bart Taylor won the race. Exactly. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because they're played by Chad Hayes and Carrie Hayes, who are twins in real life, just in case you weren't sure. Okay? Because they're identical. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty, pretty obvious to tell that they, they were actual twins. But, you know, they... They didn't go on to have much of, a, uh, of an extensive acting career after this. But surprisingly, they actually went on to be a writing team. Interesting. And they wrote, they wrote the, mo- the 2005 remake movie House of Wax, which had Paris Hilton in it. Okay. They wrote The Reaping in 2007, which was a horror movie. And they wrote The Conjuring, which is a pretty well-known horror movie in 2013. So they actually can't be separated in real life then, too. They actually have to do everything together. That is true, yes. But I wonder if they still, uh, if they still dance together. <laughs> you life. know, who's to say? But yeah. I, I find it interesting that, you know, like we said, we, they, they weren't the strongest actors in this movie, but it's kind of cool that they did go on to have a successful writing career to, together as brothers. Right. I mean, if you're going to uh, write horror movies, oh, what better person to write them with than your twin brother? Exactly. Yeah. Cause I mean, that right there is a little creepy, right? Just a little <laughs> bit. And uh, their outfits and their dance moves just, uh, you know, creepy. it's only an award winning writing duo if they you if they wear these outfits while writing i was gonna say if they've ever uh been honored with any awards for you know the conjuring uh if they were to ever accept an award i wish that they would bring back those those outfits yes that would be wonderful (laughs) so we leave the dance and of course then we go into this romantic montage with christian and crew he brings her butt sliding. Not what it's called in the movie. No, I know. I'm just trying to be nice about right, it. Right. Again, um, one of the things I did not pick up on as a kid. No, and it's really just sliding down a cement tube with I'm ho- what could be sewage, I think, into a lake. No, 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 you know what I think it was? I think it was. Uh, I think they were a logging town. If you put two and two together, they've got the the logging yard. Yes. And I believe that the the the, the shoot was to get the the cut trees down into the river to, to move him down to the, to the, the mill. You pick, I didn't pick up on that, but that's a great pickup because I think you're right. Because yeah. remember the lumber yard and the logs, I think that's exactly what it is. That was a log shoot. That makes more sense. And it's exactly. actually, to be honest, a lot more comforting than a sewage bite. Right. So they go on this, this whirlwind, right? The, the, the other thing too, as a kid, I thought that the, the movie took place over a longer period of time. It was like, a week. Yeah, if that. 
if that, and like in a day, they're already in love, right? Oh yeah, he's hugging her from behind. He's doing like the waist hug and on the river. Met. Yeah, I mean if that's the power of the bicycle boogie. Right, exactly. That's why I have to bring that move into my arsenal. Um, you know, e even as a married man, I could still use that one in my back pocket every now and then. Th I mean, that's at least that's at least a fifth or tenth year anniversary move. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna start working on it. I get got to get myself a, another bike. Uh, but but I'm gonna work on bicycle boogieing. I, I think it will really win my wife over in the anniversary years, you know? Yeah. Could I dare say a 40th anniversary hover around boogie? I'll yeah. even get uh, like a space suit. <laughs> so we see uh, the two of them, of course. And Lori Laughlin does a great job here. This is in the still near the beginning kind of her acting career. But of course, we mo most of us know her. She went on to be Aunt Becky in Full House. Exactly. Um, again, and that was only like four years after this movie. Didn't realize that as a kid. Another thing that I didn't didn't notice. Yeah, you know, you're thinking of her as a teen, and it wasn't a long time into the '90s when they did Full House. I thought she was really uh, did a great job in this movie. It's sad to say because he's the main character, but I would say that that uh, um, Bill Allen is probably the weakest of, of the main characters yeah. in the movie. You know, probably. But again, the other thing here too is that I would say. I did think I did think that there was decent chemistry between the two of them. Yeah, there was. Um, so then they move on to qualifying because they're told, you know, as you mentioned, the townsfolk are all like, hey, we need to make sure that our local guys get a chance. And so Duke Best from Mongoose Bikes, who's the guy that basically is put on this whole event, he says, right. oh, yeah, we're, we're going to have qualifying and there'll be like three qualifying heats. And if, you know, the 20 fastest riders will, no matter where they come from, will be able to go into hell track. Um, yeah, and they, they, they run three heats, I think is what it ended up being. Yep. Uh, you had to place in the top, you know, top group in the first heat. And then if you did that, you moved on to the second heat and, and so forth. Um, I think if you won a heat, you automatically qualified. But then if you didn't win a heat, you had to get a certain total number of points between the three heats to to get in. Yeah. And so, of course, we see that, you know, Bart Connor, or I'm sorry, Bart Taylor, he was played by Bart Connor. Bart Taylor, who is like the number one BMX racer in the world, and he's like the front runner. Um, he's partners on the Mongoose team with the Reynolds twins and to actually with Christian. She, cause she works for the Mongoose team. Right. She, she's she, kind of like, you know, this is a, almost a Romeo Juliet situation. Right, right. She makes that that distinction. Um, she says that she still rides for trophies. She's not a money rider. Yeah, because I think because she's still in college, so I think yeah. she can't be a pro technically yet. Right, exactly. But but yeah, yeah sponsored by by Mongoose, but she's not really um, into the team culture. And obviously, the guy who's who's putting on the race, Duke Best, he's got a lot of money invested in in Mongoose, so he's sponsoring the race and sponsoring the team so this is where you start to see things again i didn't pick up on as a, as a little kid uh the way that he was trying to manipulate a little the, of the corruption uh, behind the scenes right yeah and then every time crew jones would would pass a test and say right uh kind of skipping ahead he he ends up qualifying through the three heats he earns enough points and he and he qualifies well now all of a sudden, right? Duke Best is like, "Oh no, this local boy is going to show up my 
my team. I can't have that. I've got <coughs> millions of dollars on the line here in merchandising and, and TV endorsements and those types of things. So all of a sudden they start adding these new uh, rules to the rule book. And he's got his little minion that follows him around with a, a, a red rule book. And uh, they keep saying things like, um, oh, well, we forgot to, to tell you, yeah, you did qualify, but you can't ride in the race unless you have a, a sponsor. Right. Then right. they get a sponsor. They make their own sponsor. And then it's, you have to sponsor. have a company that has over $50,000 in sales. Right. So they start selling the rad racing gear. So that's yep. where you get the, red, the, the the name from is they, his little sister, Wesley creates a shirt and says, you know, rad and, and all that. And uh, they take that idea, they run with it. They create rad racing and now they've got a sponsor, but then they add another rule that you have to have a certain, your, your sponsor has to have a certain num, uh, amount of money in, in the bank or whatever. Um, so then yeah, they have $50,000 in sales. Right. Yeah. So uh, one of the local guys who, who you think is kind of a bad guy in the beginning, he, he originally is one of the ones who I think, it doesn't really say what he did. I don't know if he put up money or if he put up the land for the track to be built on. He's a guy who lives in the town and he's kind of in it with Duke best originally to kind of make this money. He stood to make, you know, 50% of whatever their profits were through merchandising and everything. But then he kind of catches wind of the fact that the race is actually being manipulated and he turns out to be a good guy and supports the, the local kid. And he buys up all the rad racing merchandise, uh, to, to, to put them over the mark for the $50,000 that they need so so he can, uh, crew, crew can ride in the race. Yeah, Bert Timmer is the character's name, and he's an older man who is, uh, it looks like he's a, a shop owner in town. It does yeah. mention in the beginning of the movie that he he basically put the money up to build Helltrack in yeah. the town to host it, right? Um, so he has some skin in the game, but also the more the movie goes on, it, it does seem like he's kind of a, a like a, crotch the old man but it also seems like he's just an honest businessman and he wants to make sure things are honest and upfront exactly right and he doesn't like when he sees do best start screwing around with the rules correct um and he's this guy's played by ray walston who's another phenomenal actor yeah he did um, a, yeah he was very good ray walston was my favorite martian he was the main character. He was the actual Martian in that show, you know, um, uh, you know, that kind of classic show. Right. Um, but then he also was in um, he was in The Sting. He was in um, Popeye. He was in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He was in Of Mice and Men and he was in The Stand, Stephen King's The Stand. Wow. Quite the resume. I mean, he's this guy and he's been even in more stuff. Picket Fences. Ray Walston is just one of those character actor kind of, he's in a lot of things. Yeah. Um, and he, he does a great job um, of, of playing this part. Ray Walston um, is, is gone now. He passed, passed away in 2001, but um, he just did, you know, such a phenomenal job. Um, he was 86, you know, but in this, in this movie, especially he really, he plays a great role because it's the guy that, Seems like he's crotchety and kind of nasty, but then he sort of shows up to help save the day and buys, I think he buys $27,000 worth of t-shirts. Exactly. Um, to make that $50,000 uh, piece, right? Um, and so 
yeah, it's really kind of interesting. And then, of course, so Crew actually gets to race. So we see him in Helltrack because he did qualify, which in itself is a feat. They mention that, you know, he ends up in the top 20 to race Helltrack and the qualifiers had a thousand people. Yeah. So and, it's not and, just like he should be in because he's a local guy. He deserves it. And, and you get to kind of the uh, the main part of the movie, right? It's all about the the, the race. And, and really, it wasn't a long movie by any means, although I think movies in the 80s were a little bit shorter anyway. Yeah. I think it was only like an hour and 30 minutes or an hour, 35 minutes, something like that. Yeah, it's 91 minutes. So it's an hour and a half almost exactly. Yeah, so really short movies. So I think that, that explains why some of these things that we're talking about, they didn't have great backstory. They didn't really have time to develop a lot of this stuff. But you get to the part that honestly, when I was a little kid, I wasn't really interested in the romantic connection between him and, and Christian. I wasn't really interested in that. So a lot of times I would just fast forward to the um, the race at the end. You know, that, that was yeah. my, my favorite part. And 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 it was so cool kind of just going through and they're introducing everybody as they're sitting up on top of the wall there, um, the starting gate. And and I had to look it up because they, they, they said one of the, the members of Team GT was Mike was, Hall. No, they said Kevin. Or, or I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they said your name. Yeah. But but it's it's H-U-L-L. All right. Because I caught it and I was like, Kevin races for GT out of Texas. That's what I thought. Right. And I don't remember ever catching that when we were kids. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember catching that that either. But yeah, they said Kevin Hull. And I, I thought they said Kevin Hall. And uh, I, I had to look that one up. But it, it's it's H-U-L-L. Well, that's hilarious that you caught that, too. Because I caught it when I was watching. And I was like, wait a second. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he's like he's like the 13th or 14th guy they introduce. Exactly. Yeah, it's easy to not notice if you don't catch yeah, and, and I didn't look it up, but I wonder how many of those guys were actually BMX riders back in the 80s. Yeah, well, I don't know if they named I, – a, a number of them they named by their name. Like, they were racers that were in it. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. They, they were actual BMX racers, they right? They were, yeah. A number of them that were in, hell, in the hell track scene were actual BMX yeah. racers. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think Kevin Hull was a, a, a Team GT BMX racer. Oh, nice. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all because they did bring in a lot of guys for this. Um, and so it's really, it's really interesting. They do have the race, of course. And as we mentioned, it's the hell track is actually pretty cool track, right? It, it starts with a 30 foot drop wall and then they go through S turns and, uh, a cereal bowl jump and all sorts of crazy stuff. Right. Yeah. They've got this, this kind of cool, like bridge thing that like, it's like a spiral as it goes up and then it like crosses over as a bridge. The, the course kind of snakes its way around, but then kind of gradually uphill because they have to find a way to get back up onto the top of the 30 foot wall because th they do three laps, I think. And they, every time they start a new lap, they have to come back down the wall. Yes. Yep. So there, there's a jump right before they get back to the top of the wall that they have to kind of jump up. And there's like a gap between the, the top of the jump and the start of the, the platform. platform the yeah. Point. Yeah. But a lot of guys didn't make it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cause you had to be moving to get up there. And you know, it, it's interesting cause we see a few things. Obviously we see one of the twins takes out crew and one of the, I think lap two and then crew spends the rest of the, yeah. the race, like coming back. Right. It's almost a days of thunder thing. Right. Exactly. Coming back up through the, all the other competitors um, until he, you know, catches up to, to number two. But it's interesting because Bart Taylor, who's like the number one guy, right? 
it's near the end, as you mentioned, he takes out the other twin. Well, the, the, the twin, I think, was kind of like, I'm tired of always being this guy's flunky. Was, yeah. I'm going to try to win. Yeah, um, so he took him out. But then, like you mentioned, he stops and waits for crew to get up there and so that they can basically one-on-one it, right, to the, to the end. Right. As I'm watching this, this movie, there are times where Bart Taylor, you know, he's kind of like the jerk bad guy. But there's a number of times in this movie where he's actually not that bad. And he seems to not like, you know, he seems to not like Duke's underhanded business stuff in the way that he's trying to screw over crew. Right. He, he was a little arrogant. He thought he was the best in the world, but he wanted to prove that he was the best in the world. He didn't want to be best in the world because it was bought for him. Right. He was like, if crew thinks he's the best, he wants to beat me. Like, let's just race it. You know, one, one of the things that I thought was interesting is how some of the lines from the movie I haven't seen the movie in years, but kept coming to me. My wife was laughing because um, I would say the line before the line actually happened. So like at the very end, they're going up. You you do like three laps and then kind of a a fourth lap, the finish line, you still had to go down that 30 foot drop again before you hit the the finish line. So, you know, they're they're, they're coming up that last jump that we were talking about before you get to the top of the wall. And, And I said, I'm like, in unison, they clear that jump. And then the, you know, the, the announce the line, <laughs> that's the line. And, and throughout the whole movie, I was doing that though. Like these lines just kept coming back to me. Yep. Like the little girl, uh, his, his sister, Wesley, you know, um, talking to Duke best when he was telling them about the new rule about the money. And she's like, are you going to blab or are you going to buy? Yeah. And, <laughs> and I just, I don't know where it came from, but the, I watched the movie so much as a kid that the lines were just like ingrained in my brain and as soon as the scene started, I like they, they, they were just came right coming, back. coming right back. And I was like, yeah, saying so many of the lines. So then it ends. It, of course, crew wins. Right. Barely. But he does win. Right. With, uh, with a spin jump across the finish of line. Of course, because you got to go hot dog. Right. I, I, again, though, I, I'm pretty sure it was not efficient. Like it, it no, almost allowed right? Bart to come just back. To the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but he wins. And of course. Um, Duke gets mad and basically fires Bart Taylor, right? And so, you know, now that rad racing is a big deal because crew just won hell track, they basically hire Bart Taylor as a racer. Which, to be honest, watching that again as a as a older person and kind of understanding everything that was going on, like, I think they only won $100,000, for the race. Right. So, well, well, in the 80s, that was obviously a lot of money to sponsor a professional rider, let yeah. alone two professional <laughs> riders. And not only that, like, he, again, he wasn't Bart Taylor as bad as Duke Best or the Reynolds twins. Like, he's kind of still made it out to be, like, the bad guy throughout the entire movie. And then all of a sudden, at the very end, he's, like, a, a, a member of, like, it just ends kind of weird for me. Um, yeah, they lift the bike up together. Right, exactly. Um, it's interesting. The other thing is, too, I don't understand why Duke fired him. He still took second at Helltrack. Well, because they had all this merchandise and warehouses, like, marketing him as, like, the winner of Helltrack. the champion and the winner, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But, I mean, second in the top race in the world is still awesome. It is, but, again, I keep coming back to... For me, as much as the the actual race scene was a great scene, um, 
Bart Taylor easily should have won that race. He was the best rider out there. But it does say something to his character, I guess, that he's now on the good team, that he did stop and give crew the fair shot. Yeah. But I I would we're say, looking at it logically going, just win the race. Right. And, and, and I get that, you know, crew was taken out by one of the Reynolds twins, but, but the way that the track was and just BMX racing in general, like people are falling on their bikes. It's just part of the race. Yeah, people get taken uh, out a lot. It happens. They, they get taken out a lot. So he didn't really owe him anything to stop. The fact of the matter is, is that he was able to navigate through all of the traffic and didn't get taken out by anybody. He already proved that he was better than Crew. Crew got taken out in the uh, congestion of riders. Bart didn't. And, you know, so. an interesting last fact to this. Bart Taylor is played by Bart Connor, who is an American. He's not a BMX racer. Right. Yeah. But he was an American gymnast. He won two gold medals in the 1984 Olympics in gymnastics. Yeah. And he did not go on to have an acting career, but he went on to own his own gymnastics training facility. Which is probably why they put him in the movie as as one of the main characters, though, because he was coming off of this, you know, two years earlier, this uh, great Olympic performance. He would have had some, some star power. Especially, especially in Cochrane, Canada. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting that he didn't go on to really do a whole lot more acting. But kind of like the Reynolds twins, right? They went on to be writers. He didn't go on to do more acting, but he went on to keep to he stayed in gymnastics basically. Um, right. He trained like other Olympians and things like that. Um, so that's kind of neat too. So that's where we go. We get into now uh, the reception, right? And this is just a brief piece, but. Um, the film wasn't received great. I don't know if you know that. Um, I did know that. Yeah, I it, did. It, it cost three million dollars to make. It only made two million at the box office. So not, it's a bit of a bomb. It actually was negative a million dollars. <laughs> not good. Not great to start off with. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave Rad a forty-two percent critics rate, which is not great either. You know, that's Rotten Tomatoes, though. I feel like they always give good movies terrible ratings. But interestingly enough, in 2013, The Guardian um, newspaper found that this movie had the largest discrepancy between critics and audiences because audience gave it a 91%. I think I would agree with that. Um, Obviously, some things, as we talked about, jumped out to me. I think I understood more of the plot being older you know as a kid i was just into it because the bmx tricks and stuff i still think it was a great movie though watching it again think the ending is a little cheesy i i I thought it could have maybe ended on a better note uh but overall i I still really enjoyed it yeah and you know it's also interesting because as we said it was kind of a bomb in theaters but in night later in 1986 it was released on vhs right and then back then you're in 1986 you're talking about like the movie store era right right um it was released on VHS in late 1986, where it found a quick cult following, and it actually became one of the top 10 video rentals for the next two years. I think that uh, I probably made up a good portion of that. I think we owned it, didn't we? I think, I think we owned like it. We rented it and maybe we bought it or something. We owned a few copies because I, I would wear it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... Interesting reception. You know, normally you don't see something. I mean, I've seen, we've seen a number of things on this podcast as well that didn't have a great reception, but had a cult fat following. But that's a very quick turnaround. It bombed in theaters, but later in the same year, the next two years, it's the, it's one of the top video rentals. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, de- I definitely, I understand it. I get it. I, I think uh, it's just a really classic, fun movie to watch. Yeah. I think so too. So this is where we get to the point where now, We've talked about the reception of the movie. So now we talk about 
our rating. So we get to rate rad. Uh, our candy, we rate one out of five bicycles. Um, the movie, we rate one out of 10 bicycles. So okay. what's your final rating and why for rad? So I, I, I had a tough time with this coming up with a rating because do I, do I rate it as a movie that I'm comparing with the quality of movies that we have today what i mean by that is the the way that we're able to make movies that they're able to make movies today the cinematography the stunts they just have a lot more capability than they did back then right so there is that element of the movie when you watch it and you can just go as soon as it comes on like oh this is an 80s movie like it just got the kind of the corny soundtrack the corny you know uh cinematography do i rate it compared to what we have being produced today or do i rate it as what it is which is an 80s film what you also need to take into consideration is kind of the theme of the podcast which is you know you could rate it as an 80s film and then watching it now how did it hold up for me honestly i'm going to say it, it did not ruin my childhood okay okay yeah for me for me it, it really lived up i would say probably uh an eight, an eight out of 10. I think it would have been higher, honestly, if the ending didn't end. I, I just didn't like the ending. I thought it was kind of corny that all of a sudden he just becomes a member of Team Rad and that's how it ends. Yeah, and I'm, you know what? I'm going to agree. I really, you know, I think that this is this is something that did hold up. I mean, there's a few dated references, but it's an 80s movie, right? The soundtrack was decent. Some of the, some of the songs were good. Some were like, eh, but it wasn't bad. But I think that the, the bicycle stunts are cool. I think that this is, again... Even with, we said some of the language was a little crazy from like the little kid and things, but it was nothing out of hand, right? No, it wasn't terrible. I always look at it and I go, is this something I let my kids watch? Yeah, I think I would. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and, and considering all of that, that it was an 80s movie, honestly, I think it's fun to just look back on it because as we talked about the wardrobe, the, the wardrobe is so classic 80s. The soundtrack, really classic 80s. The dance sequence is good. The... the Hell track itself is fun to watch. So when you when you put all those elements together, I think it, it really holds up now is just looking back on it and, and really just having a lot of nostalgia, not just for the movie, but for the 80s. Oh, tremendously, yeah. And so because of all of that, I also went with an eight out of ten bicycles. You know, and so I that's awesome. So together we went, we agreed. Eight out of ten bicycles, and we didn't talk about that beforehand. No, not at all. And so this is a that's actually we both agreed on a five out of five for Skittles, and an yeah. eight out of ten for Rad, which is really both good, great scores. To be honest, this was a tremendous episode. You know, coming up next episode we have is where I will have Megan back. Our twenty fifth episode. Which congratulations, thank you. And we are we we are going to actually we chose. The way we chose what we're going to review is we went back 25 years and decided to to review the 25th rated movie, 1997. It was the fifth element. Good choice. Yeah, you know, and that was, so I'm happy with that. But uh, yeah, the 25th rated movie from 25 years ago for our 25th Honestly, episode. I'm surprised that it was only number 25. Yeah, well, a lot of movies that year. Um, and then after that, we also have Fantasy Island. Okay. Uh, and we will be going through the 1980s 
uh, TV show Fantasy Island. We're going to go through a couple episodes and talk about if that holds up. But yeah, so we're so we're pretty happy that. Thanks for joining us. You're um, welcome for this Father's for Day um, special. So for all of us here at Stop Ruining Our Childhood podcast, uh, remember to like, subscribe, follow us, leave comments. Um, you can always you can find us on Podbean as well as all other places that podcasts are, um, and at www.stopruiningmychildhood.com. And uh, for for everybody here, uh, I've been Steve. And I'm Kevin. And uh, have a great, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to everybody. <laughs> <laughs>